Father, um, what a joy it is to uh, see these uh, new families make a commitment to our church. And we thank you and praise you for each and every one of them, for the journeys that you've brought them on. And now, Father, we are about to embark on, once again, a journey into your word to hear what you would have to say by your spirit to your children. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to open the word of God. May it be not only relevant, but impactful and transformational in each of our lives. Now, Father, I pray that uh, your blessing would be upon this word. I pray that uh, Christ would be lifted up and the Spirit would anoint each of us as we listen. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I wonder if you know what the nation's fastest growing religion is. It's not Islam or Christianity. The symbol of this rising faith is not the crescent or the cross, but a dollar sign, a MasterCard, a Visa. You see, there's an expanding belief system in radical consumerism in our nation. The projection is that the holiday spending will exceed, this holiday season, 2014, will exceed $600 billion in spending. Now, there's almost two-thirds of a trillion dollars will be spent by Americans on gifts and holiday. Here's what radical consumerism promises. It promises transcendence, power, pleasure, and most of all, I think for most of us, fulfillment. It promises, to, it promises to solve the problems of our society. It promises to solve the national economic dilemma. In fact, it promises to solve the world economic. And it demands complete devotion. Now, I'm afraid that Christians kind of get caught up in this, including myself, and somehow... <laughs> and this happens every year, somehow Christianity and Christians and Christmas and consumerism kind of gets all tangled up this time of year. And one of the things we want to do is try and figure out a way to fix that. So there was a story of a, um, a Jewish family who owned a retail store in a large suburban mall. And uh, every year, of course, the, the best time of the year for retail owners is the Christmas season because most, about half of all of their income comes from that 30-day period between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So it was Christmas Eve, all the shops had been closed, and everyone had pretty much gone home that night to spend their own Christmas Eves. But this Jewish family, not really celebrating Christmas, were still in their shop kind of bustling around when... The security guard came by and said, how's it going? I'm surprised you're still here. Everybody else has gone home. And he said, well, do you guys do anything special for Christmas Eve yourself, even though you're Jewish? And the father said, yes, we do. And he said, well, what do you do? He said, well, after uh, the Christmas Eve sales are all done, our family gathers around the cash register. We count the receipts and the cash. And then we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> Every Christmas. Now, we laugh at that, but it's so very sad. 
that somehow Christmas is known for consumerism. Somehow, uh, even people who aren't Christians recognize that, that we kind of get this thing all tangled up. Christianity and Jesus are recognized for spending during our Christmas season. We see all the TV ads. Um, the more you spend, the more you love. I mean, uh, every, what is it? Every kiss begins with K and every uh, uh, Lexus uh, with a big red bow is, is certainly the least you can do for your wife and, and all of this. It all gets kind of confusing. Well, uh, Sherry and I received the Covenant Companion. By the way, it's an excellent magazine produced by our denomination. And in the Covenant, recent issue of Covenant Companion, there was a blogger by the name of Craig Bullrin who wrote a blog, and I won't read the whole thing, but I want to read a section of it. He's talking about this idea of Santa and Christianity kind of getting all mixed up. Here's what he said. I'm serious. We're tired of him talking about Santa. Because spiritually speaking, Santa Claus is a colossal pain in the wassail. Do you realize how difficult it is to reconcile the story of the birth of the Christ child, Emmanuel, God with us, with that of Santa? Talk about your miracle stories. A bearded elderly gentleman with no clear revenue stream somehow commands a fleet of pointy-eared elves who, with just a few primitive tools, create enough computerized dolls, iPods, video games, and electronic gadgetry to satisfy an entire planet's worth of good little girls and boys. And Star of Wonders, he somehow manages to deliver all this booty in a single evening to every child in every time zone with a team of flying reindeer. He goes on, the entire jolly old Saint Nick thing is not only wholly untenable, it's also a gigantic spiritual distraction. Like being forced to hold your child's baptism ceremony at a Chuck E. Cheese. Try talking about sin and atonement virgin birth and the highest being born into the lowest circumstances when all your kids can think about is St. Nick sliding down a chimney that, chimney that you don't even have. <laughs> End quote. I mean, yikes, right? We've all gotten caught up in that. We get so confused. We get so distracted. What are we to do? Well, we've decided to do something about it. And so this series of four weeks before Christmas Eve, uh, this four Sundays in Advent, we're talking about reclaiming Christmas. And the areas that we're looking at in reclaiming Christmas are to worship fully, that was last week, to spend less, that's this week, to give more, that's next week, and to love all. Now last week we talked about worshiping fully. And we used the idea, the concept of the Mary miracle. And the Mary miracle, most of you remember, goes something like this that Christ is born, comes alive in me, just like he did in Mary 2,000 years ago. But Christ is born, comes alive in me. Christ grows in me in such a way that I literally change the way I am, and that Christ that is born in me and grows in me comes forth from me, and the Christ that is born in me and grows in me and comes forth from me will change the world around me. That miracle that happened to Mary has also happened to me. And it's happened to many of you, and it can happen to anyone who says yes to Jesus. Now, I want to just say a little word here. Last Sunday, <clears throat> and this happens whenever the Spirit leads, but last Sunday, we gave an opportunity for people to pray and receive Christ. And as the Spirit almost always does, there were people in both services who said, 
yes to Jesus. I just wanted to remind all of you for a moment that you, that you are in the presence of a miracle last Sunday. And this has happened many times before, right? You're in the presence of a miracle. You're in the presence of people saying yes to Jesus who passed from death to life, who passed from darkness to light, who passed from an eternity without God to eternity in heaven. It was a miracle. And anytime that happens in our church or anywhere else in the world, it is an absolute miracle. That's what it means to worship fully, to be fully engaged in the God of the universe and offer him our heart. Today, our theme, not quite as exciting, but I think you'll find that it's really as exciting, spend less. Now, let me give a disclaimer, because some of you already are wiggling in your seats. I can see it. Here's the disclaimer. Keep this in mind, please. Reclaiming Christmas is not about eliminating gifts or eliminating spending money on gifts as we celebrate Christmas. It's not about that. It's about changing the way we think about giving changing the way we think about spending and how we give and we spend. And we want to do that with with thoughtfulness and care. So I'm not a Grinch. I'm not here to tell you not to buy Christmas presents. But I do want you to see from Scripture, I want you to see some ways that we can spend less and give more. Now, the example that we have is always Jesus. We don't have a record of Jesus ever giving anybody a gift. (laughs) But the Scripture, the New Testament, is filled with things that Jesus gave. He washed people's feet. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He did all of these things, and the greatest thing he did was give the gift of himself, his life. So even though he never gave a little package to anyone, he gave his life to everyone. So let's talk, what it, talk about what it means this morning to spend less and to give more. Here's the deal. At the very heart of consumerism is, and I think you would agree with me, is dissatisfaction and discontentment. It's the very heart of consumerism. I don't have what I really want. I don't have what I really need. I don't have enough money. God is stingy because I don't have a good enough job or enough money. Those are kind of all at the heart of consumerism. Check out this quote. It came from a book entitled Advent Conspiracy. Quote, we are constantly searching for the one thing that will satisfy us. Yet each time we trust the promises of our possessions, more barriers are raised between our true selves and God's plain command to love Him above all things. It's not that we necessarily want more. It's that what we want is something we can't buy. End quote. It's like we're searching for God and we've settled for stuff. We have to look at our lives and our spending decide is the basis for our happiness and well-being. Consumerism has become a god in America. And in the midst of our consumer culture, the words of Christ from Luke 12, 15 ring very true. Listen to these words. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Now we all know that. We know that we can say it, but yet somehow we live this kind of practical atheistic life. That, yeah, we know these things, but the way we live our life is just kind of different than what the Bible talks about. We all know, we've all heard the phrases that, you know, we don't, there's no U-Hauls that go to heaven. We can't take anything to heaven with us. We know all of that, but somehow we still buy into this whole consumerism. In Isaiah 55-2, God wonders why we don't come to Him why we persist in pursuing those things that were never designed to satisfy us. Here's the quote. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Somehow we have come to believe that certain things will satisfy our soul and it never does, right? It never does. It's like the little boy who, when he was eight years old, he went to Toys R Us with his parents. And he looked at this amazing wonderland of toys and gadgets and everything. And he saw this most incredible bicycle, the best bicycle he had ever seen in his life. And here's what he said to his mom and dad. He said, Mommy, Daddy, if you buy me this bike for the rest of my life, I will never ask for anything else. I will be fully content. I will never want or need anything. If you give me this bike, I will be the most happy, the most fulfilled little boy and that, that the world has ever seen. And so the parents, miraculously, bought him the bike. And, and, and here's the story. It worked. So the boy grows up and he's ready to go to college and his parents say, son, listen, we don't have any money to send you to college. You're going to kind of have to do this on your own. You're going to have to work your way through college. And the boy says, are you kidding, mom and dad? I don't want anything from you. I don't need any money from you. I don't need you to pay for my college education. Because when I was eight years old, I said that if you bought me that bike, I would be the most happy, contented kid for the rest of my life. And I am. I don't need anything else. He grows up, he becomes a father and a husband, and after a while, things don't work out in his family. He's estranged from his kids. His wife divorces him, and she says, listen, I'm sorry, but I can't live with you anymore. He said, it's okay. It's okay. You can leave me. I have no problem with that. You have a right to do that, because I realize that my life is content, because when I was eight years old, I got a bike, and that bike was the most incredible gift that I've ever, and that's, that's enough to satisfy me for the rest of my life. Now, doesn't that sound weird? But yet somehow, somehow we believe every time we see that bling, that thing, that new iPhone, that new something, we say, if I only had that, I would be the most contented and the most happy person for the rest of my life. Isaiah says, the things that you're wanting and needing don't provide that kind of substance. In the midst of all the clamoring for you to buy more, we need to have a fresh look at the Christmas story. And, and just look, look, consider the great gift that God has given to us. Luke 2.7, just one verse from the Christmas story. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the end. What an amazing gift that the Father gave to the world, this gift of the Savior as a baby. And we need to understand what it cost God to give us that gift and how we can take that gift 
use that gift in us, the merry miracle, and then figure out how we can do our Christmas differently, how we can absolutely change the way we do Christmas. Now, the Apostle Paul can help us with this. Giving and receiving gifts within the framework of our faith is something that Paul talked a lot about in the epistles. <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 4, by the way, if you have your Bibles, turn there to Philippians 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to 19. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. Take one, take two. Make sure that you don't, they don't gather dust on your shelf, but either use it or give it away or both. So uh, be sure and take a Bible if you would like. And also my opportunity to tell you once again to what? To read your Bibles, okay? It's amazing what is in that book. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 19. Here Paul has this absolutely contented heart of love and devotion for the church at Philippi who had taken care of him financially. Um, he never asked for anything, but uh, the church has recognized, you know, this guy's an itinerant preacher. He's going around being a missionary. He has no income stream. Once in a while, he might have to stop and build, make some tents because he was a tent maker by trade before. But, but you know what? He really didn't have... So some churches, even though they were poor themselves because of the economic distress on Christians in those days, because they were poor, they still found a way to give generously to people like Paul. And that's what he's talking about in this text in chapter 4, uh, verses 10 to 19. This is the word of God for the people of God. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for content with whatever I have. Isn't, isn't, just let that phrase settle in on you. Paul really had nothing. He had no money, no savings, no anything. I learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything. This is a verse that you all, all knew as kids. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But did you realize the context that it came from? Paul is telling them, thank you for taking care of me. Even though I'm fully content, I don't really need things, but thank you that you love me enough to take care of me. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. Have you ever said that to yourself? Seriously? I have all I need and more. That's what Paul said. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which, have, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? A gracious, generous, contented heart. It's like Paul got that bicycle when he was eight years old and it really worked, you know. It really worked for him. But he recognizes the generosity that was given to him. He wanted to thank them and say, listen, I pray that God's generosity will flow back on you. Did you know that that's God's promise? If you are generous with your money and your resources to the work of the kingdom, 
to the work of God, if you are generous with that, that, those, that generosity will flow back on you. I think, I think Paul's testimony here highlights really three important principles for spending and giving gifts. And let me just give you those quickly this morning. Three tips for spending and for giving. The first tip is this. Let the gifts you give meet a need. Let the gifts you give meet a need. Paul said, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. It's like the Holy Spirit told the church of Philippi, listen, Paul's in need. He doesn't have anything. He's running out. We need to send him something. There was this sense that we want to take care of someone. Now, the Philippians could have very easily have said, you know what? It's our money. We want to do well. We don't have much ourselves. We certainly don't have any money to buy gifts for our children or anything like that. But instead of that, they said, listen, God has promised if we are generous to the kingdom, he will be generous to us. This great gratitude in Paul, a sense of contentment. The gift must meet a need. So in the fall of 1962, it's going way back, I was 14 years old and I had just made the freshman football team and I was so excited, I was so pumped up. And what I didn't realize though, if you made the team, you had to buy your own shoes, okay? Now, these weren't Nike, you know, football shoes that cost $145. That's how much they cost, by the way. These were black, high-top, Converse football shoes. Big old clunky things like, if you're old enough to remember, Johnny Unitas used to wear. And so that's what I needed. They cost $14. Of course, I had no money. I was a kid. And uh, I told my mom and dad, I said, I need these football. And I know my dad didn't make very much money. He was going to school at night, working as a milkman during the day. So he wasn't making much money. And I said, I need these football shoes. And my dad said, son, I am, I can't tell you how sorry I am because I would love to do this. We don't have $14. But I, but, but, and I, I cried that night, all night I cried. I was so sad because here I made the team and I couldn't even play because I didn't have football shoes. The next morning, my parents came into my room and they said, son, um, we figured out how we can buy you football shoes. And so I was excited and happy. They bought me the shoes. I played football and I just, that was amazing. And I didn't find out till years later that that $14 was money my father had been saving for two years to buy my mom a new dress. She hadn't had a new dress since they had been married hardly. And he was saving that money and he had like $14 and some change is how much he had saved and he used that money. for. So, so from my parents' perspective, they saw this need for their child and we always do that, don't we? We sacrifice so that our kids have what they need. And, but there was this sense of, I want to do something generous for you and then God's generosity was poured back on my parents. Give a tailor-made gift that meets a need. So what we do for our kids, we give our kids in Georgia uh, things that they can do there. Uh, we try to, instead of buying these elaborate gifts because they, they'll just break and they won't mean anything, we try to give them something that will kind of make a memory. So in Portland, we give the kids, kids zoo passes, a year pass to the Portland Zoo. What's the other place they go to? The, the aquarium, the, those kinds of, we try to give those kinds of gifts, the, the gifts that, you know, really will meet a need because they don't have any money and they couldn't afford those things. We try to give gifts that will really meet a need. So let me give you some opportunities to think about what you might give. Now, again, we're not talking about not buying presents. What we are talking about is saying, you know what, Lord, you've, you've blessed me 
and we have this amount of money that we can spend for Christmas, please don't ever put money on credit and not pay it off immediately. Don't, that, God is not pleased with that. Don't do that. Putting credit card, paying for Christmas on a credit card, unless you can pay it off the next month, it's not good. Uh, but So we say, okay, here's how much money we have. And what we do, Sherry and I do, we say, okay, half of that money we're going to give to the kingdom. And so we give our, always our church a generous year-end gift. Um, this year, we're giving to San Marcos, and we're giving to the um, Feeding the Homeless on Christmas morning. And here's some other things we do. Uh, we have a couple, I have a couple of brochures here. This is called Covenant Cares, and this is called a World Vision Gift Catalog. And you can get these, and I'll give you the, uh, uh, out in the uh, foyer uh, on the little black table, there's these sheets, and there's about eight different websites you can go to. Now, let me tell you what these things are about. This is about giving gifts um, to someone uh, in kind. In other words, I'm going to give, in this book, I'm going to give 25 chicks uh, in, in, in honor of my sister-in-law, Andra, and we're going to give her a card that says, uh, in your honor, we're giving 25 chicks to a family in Bangladesh. Okay, and so it costs us like 25 bucks, you know, big deal, right? But it's going to help some family to be self. And there's all kinds of gifts like that, all kinds of range of things. So we love to give gifts that will make a difference. Andrew doesn't need anything. If she wants something, she'll go out and buy it, right? She doesn't need anything. But when she gets this, she loves that. And she, she knows that we've done something in her honor. And it's just a blessing. So, so give generously. Take half of your money you're spending on Christmas and give it to the kingdom. Something that'll make a difference. Something that will have long-term lasting uh, uh, impact. Uh, because the gifts that you kind of give each other, the electronic toys and all that, those will be either out of date or broken like by January, right? So, so, so give some of those, but just give the cheap version because they're going to break anyway. And, and then spend half of your money on giving to the kingdom. I think that will make a tremendous difference in our lives. Um, meet a need. Spend less on gifts and give more to that which is needed. Tip number two, let the gifts you give be memorable. Let the gifts you give be memorable. Paul remembered the gift. Paul was, this was after the fact, Paul was writing back to the Philippians and telling them how impactful this help had been for them. He remembered and it was memorable to him that they had done this. And what is the most memorable gift that we have? God with us, Emmanuel, right? The very first Christmas was about God's gift to the world. And it's talking about being memorable. Not presence with a T, but presence with a C. Jesus gave his presence. We want to give our presence to each other. Spend less, give more, give yourself, give your time. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, we had an, um, an old... Uh, Annie Gwen, how would you describe her? She was an old maid never been married, never really had any relationship. She was a distant cousin of my grandmother, and she lived down below us in this little hovel. And every Christmas, she was invited to our house. Grandma and Grandpa would come over, and uh, aunts and uncles. And Annie Gwen would always come up for Christmas. She had no money, of course. I mean, zero. And, uh, but here's what she would do. About in September, she would get fruit uh, from her trees in her yard. She grew some fruit trees. And uh, she would pick the fruit and she would cook it up and she would can peaches and pears and um, she would make strawberry jelly and all kinds of amazing things. And she did all this by hand and she did it. She worked hard from September to December. And on Christmas morning, 
uh, she would bring up all of these canned goods. And actually, I was the kid. I was the only boy in our family. So it was my job to go down and schlep them up to our house. But I was happy to do that because some of them were for me. Me, a teenage boy, got a jar of his own jam that I used to hide under my bed. And it was awesome, you know, because my sisters would eat it. And so, but here's the deal. She gave this gift of time and labor. Now, I don't remember any gifts that I got when I was a kid except for a leather football and a Bible. That's, but the hundreds of other gifts I got got when I was growing up, but I remember Auntie Gwen's jam, and I remember her fruit, because it was a gift that was memorable, it was for me, it was made with her own hands, it really mattered. We need to make those kind of memorable gifts. Let, let's stop just throwing money at people, and let's do something with our time. So instead of giving somebody a coffee mug, which in Sherry and I's case, we have 150 of them anyway, instead of giving somebody a coffee mug, give them a coffee mug with a little thing in it that says, once a month, I'm going to have you come over to my house. You bring your coffee mug. I'll have mine. I'll make coffee, and we'll visit. We'll have a talk. Now, that coffee mug is memorable. The other kind, it's not. That one is. Or, or how about um, uh, if you do something like this? Uh, give your daughter, if you have a, a, a daughter who's a daughter, four coupons for dates, dads, for the next year. That's what you give her for her gift. Now, yeah, you also have to buy her something from, what's her name, Elsa, or whoever it is, Elsie, you know, Frozen. I, I know you got to do that, but make that small, make that insignificant. But you give her the gift of four dates in the next year. Or you give your son a baseball glove, okay, but instead of all the equipment and the outfit and everything, give him a baseball glove and then a coupon for 12 catches in the next year. 12 times, you and dad, we're going to go to the park and we're going to play catch. Or you give a gift of cleaning the house, or you do something like that. And unlike Clark Griswold, who got the you know Jelly of the Month Club for a year. Nobody ever wants that. Or please don't send that. Okay, but we want a gift of presence with a C, not presence with a T. A little boy at missionary school gave his teacher a Christmas gift. The school and the village were located many miles from the coast. Yet the boy's gift was a beautiful seashell. The teacher knew he had to travel many hours by foot to get this particular shell. The teacher's initial response to the gift was, Oh, son, you shouldn't have gotten me that beautiful shell. You had to walk too far to get it. The little boy's response was, The long walk was part of the gift. That must be part of our gift, a gift of giving. Our list, uh, but the gift of self. That's how we can spend less and give more. And then there's one last tip I want to share with you, and it's this. Let the gifts you give be meaningful. Meaningful. Paul could not have survived his missionary endeavors without somebody helping him. The gifts were so meaningful. In fact, later Paul talked about another experience. Uh, there was this group of Christians in Jerusalem. Again, there was this economic boycott on Christians because... Uh, the Romans and the Jews, nobody liked the Christians. And so, so they were very, very poor. And this little struggling church in Jerusalem had no money. And Paul had made that, made that known to some other churches. Hey, listen, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are really suffering. So he told that, told that to the churches in Macedonia, Greek churches, not even Jewish, right? Greek churches. And the Bible says that the, those Greek Christians were so excited to give, to help the Gentile, the Jewish Christians, that they took up an offering. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 8, 4. They begged us, 
Paul said of the Macedonian Christians, remember they're helping out Jewish Christians. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They begged us, please take our money. But you don't have anything yourself. That's okay. We'll share the little bit of bread we do have. Please take our money. Take our chickens. Take our goats. Take whatever. Please take this to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Talk about a meaningful gift. Let me tell you a gift that was not meaningful. My father, who I loved with all my heart, I greatly respected him. He died when I was just in my 30s. He was 57 years old. Uh, but my father wasn't a very good gift giver. I've gotten better over the years. Sherry's taught me how to give gifts properly, or at least the proper gifts. And uh, so my dad was not a good gift giver. So one Christmas, my dad was all excited about, the, he had this thing all wrapped in, a, it was a, like a, a, a grocery bag, and it was just kind of taped over the top. And, and he gave that, he was very proud. He came out and he put it in my mom's lap. So this is awesome. So uh, she opened it, it was a trailer hitch. Yeah, a trailer hitch. My dad said, guess what? I went out and I bought a boat. And here's the trailer hitch. Now we can go on vacations and we can go skiing and fishing. And my mom's looking at, oh, well, thank you. Well, how did you pay for the boat? We don't have any money. Well, I put it on a charge card. My mom said, well, I can't do that. And so there was all this tension and everything. Later, years later, my mom was recounting that story. She said later that night when they got into the bedroom by themselves, she said, honey, I just wish you had taken me dancing. That's what she would have loved for Christmas. Not getting in debt and all that. I just wish you had have taken me dancing. How can you take someone dancing? How can you give a gift that doesn't really cost anything, but it, it's the gift of your presence and it has great meaning. Every, every year, um, the church is very gracious in giving the staff a uh, gift and we greatly appreciate it and it's wonderful. But I remember there was one little woman in our church. How many people remember, this was years ago, Betty Vong? How many remember Betty Vong? Okay, not very many. This is maybe five, six years ago she passed away. She was one of our sweet, dear, blessed um, senior citizens that was just an amazing person. And every year um, she used to write me a note. And that was her Christmas gift to me. And it was a note about how much she appreciated me as a pastor. And it was just very sweet. I've got a whole drawer full in my office. And I thought, this means more to me than anything I could get from almost anyone. Recently, Sherry was in Georgia. And one of our Christmas gifts to the grandkids was for grandma to take them out one by one. And just take them out for a meal and just talk to them and like that. Now, they didn't you know, if you were to tell, we didn't tell them that was one of their gifts, but it was, uh, because if you tell them that, it feels kind of weird, but, but what a blessed gift that was, the gift of time, the gift of love, the gift of a heart. Give the gift of your presence. Give the gift of your time, your heart. Give your money away to kingdom stuff. Isn't that, wouldn't it be an amazing thing to say, half of our money this year went to build the kingdom instead of giving our kids stuff they don't need. Give your money away to those who need it. Meet a need. Make your gifts memorable. Make them meaningful. Spend less. Give more. Would you bow your heads, please? We thank you, our Father, for the way that you gave everything to us. The gift of your Son. We thank you, Lord, that um, the gift that you gave us was something that wasn't purchased in a store, but is redeemed by the blood of your own Son, Jesus who gave his life for each and every one of us. 
Father, with that great example to us, may we spend this Christmas season differently. May we reclaim Christmas. May we make it something that builds the kingdom. May we make it something that makes a difference in the world. And may we do that with a joyful and gracious heart. Father, now we have the amazing and enormous privilege of experiencing that gift that you gave to us so long ago, the gift of your Son. And we celebrate that gift with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we thank you, Father, for this gift that we receive now in Jesus' name. Amen.